0: We are in the um, sermon series. Can you see him? And it's pretty cool when you think about this journey that we've taken through the Old Testament, looking at Noah, looking at Abraham, and uh, you know, looking at these different pictures. And you know, it's awesome. Truly, truly phenomenal when you see what God was weaving together from old to new. Sixty-six different books of the Bible, 45 authors, three different languages, written in multiple continents, but one central theme, Christ the Cornerstone. God's desire to have a relationship with us and to redeem and to purchase. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's beautiful. And... We are in the book of Ruth today. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible because it is such a real life story for us all. So we're going to do all four chapters of Ruth in twenty-five thirty minutes. It'll be easy. And um, but no, seriously, I love this because the book opens up with such hurt and it moves to despair. It opens up with I'm sorry that. Did not make me feel better. It moves with, it opens with hurt and moves to hope. It opens with despair and moves to delight. We move from tragedy to triumph. And that is what you see that when this book opens and the story comes out, there is tragedy, there is despair, there is hurt. But in the end, we see hope, we see triumph and we see delight that God is in control and that God is sovereign. It is absolutely phenomenal. This book of the Bible today should take your breath away when you think about this simple fact that the God of the universe cares about each and every one of us down to the most finite detail, to the number of hairs on our head. I mean, like when Jesus said that, when Jesus said, a sparrow doesn't fall from the tree outside of my knowledge, I don't think we grasp the magnitude and the impact of how sovereign and large and amazing and all knowing our God is, and how much He loves us and cares for us and protects us. He does that for a Moabite woman. He does that for a woman that to the world was a nobody, and He brings her into the most important drama that the world has ever seen to unfold. It's a pretty cool story. So in chapter 1, we start with a famine. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. So it, it gives us a little you know, time stamp in the days of the judges. This is before the first king of Israel, King Saul, right? So this is after Joshua and before King Saul is the period of the judges. And we're actually going to do a series on the book of Judges coming up uh, in the next few months as well, so that'll be fun. And there's it, kind of a play on word here, uh, play on words, because Bethlehem means uh, house of bread, and in, chap- in verse 1 right here, the house of bread has no bread. Like you see right there, there was a famine in the house of bread. There was a famine. So Bethlehem means house of bread. There is no bread. And so this family from this town of two to three hundred, Bethlehem from most um, estimates in this time period, two to three hundred people, very small little village, they're going to go to Moab. Now what's a little interesting about Moab is that you remember Lot, right, who got delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, his daughters got him drunk plied with liquor, slept with him. And what were their children? Moabites and Ammonites. So the Moabites and the Ammonites were children of, you can say it in church, incest. Okay, children of drunken incest. So it's a little bit interesting. We see two people, the people of God, the people of promise, where there is a famine in Israel, and now we have the children of incest, and we are moving that direction, the Moabites. Because Lot was tricked by his daughter, had a child, two children, because both daughters got pregnant, Moabites and Ammonites. And that's where we're at right now, the country of Moab. So we get this family going to a land that has bread but is not a part of the promise of God. Is actually a part of sin and rejection of God and he and his wife and his two sons. So he leaves the house of bread that has no bread with a wife and two sons. In, <coughs> excuse me, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So, I mean, this is like not starting off oh so well. There's a famine, they're going to the children of incest, and now all of a sudden her husband dies. These two took Moabite wives, so her two boys. The name of the one was Orpa, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So it's talking about Naomi there. Isn't this a happy Mother's Day? So we got Naomi with no husband. No sons, and two daughter-in-laws that are children of incest in a land that is not their own with no grandchildren to carry on the name. And uh, she can't go back home yet, from what we know, because the famine is still there. So, this many thousands of years ago, we're about 3,400 years at this point, timeline, what would be the future of a widow? What would be the future of a widow 3,400 years ago that couldn't own land, that couldn't hold a job, that did not have an inheritance because there was no children or grandchildren of her lineage? What was the outlook? What were the prospects for her future? Bleak and dim at best. No sons, and she's got two wonderful daughters-in-law, right, that are, from, that are Moabite women, We're going to see how wonderful these women actually are, at least one of them, because we do move with a glimmer of hope in chapter 1. There is a glimmer of hope, and it is Ruth. It was interesting in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1, and for the second time, I'll skip over. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, the Lord has visited Israel and the famine has been broken. So it's the first time in the book of Ruth that we see the name of the Lord used. And Naomi is the one that uses it. And I think that's important because Naomi could be bitter. Naomi could be broken. Naomi could be so angry. Her husband is dead. She is in a foreign land. Her sons are dead. She has no grandchildren. But she said, the Lord has been good to us. The Lord has blessed us. The famine has been broken. Now, that's interesting that that's her outlook. She is hurt, no doubt, but she is not broken, and she is not beyond reach. In verse 15, (coughs) I'm sorry, we'll go to um, now in verse 15, the return to Bethlehem. And she said, see, your sister-in-law, that was Orpah, has gone back to her people and to her gods, Return after your sister-in-law. Now, what does this mean, after her gods? Culturally speaking, in the Near East, you would adopt the gods of your husband. So culturally, you would adopt the gods of your husband. And Orpah's husband is dead, and Naomi says, look, she's gone back. Why don't you, you don't have to be bound to me. You don't have to be bound to what is going on. Let's see sweet Ruth's response. What does Ruth turn her back on? What does Ruth forsake to say such a strong statement? Ruth is like, hey, I'm with you, Naomi. I'll forsake my family. I'll forsake my country. I'll forsake my culture. I'll forsake my friends. I'll forsake my traditions for you. There was something provocative. They had lived there 10 years. It said 10 years was the time stamp that we had. So in that 10 years, Naomi had lived in such a radical way for Yahweh, I believe. I believe believe that Naomi grieved the loss of her husband, Elimelech, and her two sons so biblically, not perfectly, but in a way that honored Yahweh, in a way that brought questions to this foreigner. Because in chapter 1, we see Ruth the Moabite. And, and, and Orpah laughed. And Naomi's like, Ruth, you can leave. And what does Ruth, the Moabite, say? No, I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. Nothing will separate us. She turns her back on all of that. It's powerful. So we see, I said, two lands, Israel and Moab. One of promise and one of sin. We see two key characters emerge from chapter one. Naomi... Hurt, but not bitter. And we see Ruth resolved and full of conviction. And we see two main needs for these women, right? Food and family. They need food and they need family. Because to be a single woman with no lineage and no children, grandchildren, not able to hold a job, not able to have a job, not able to have possessions. You're done. You're done. They would starve to death, especially in Moab. But in Israel, now this is cool. And this is what I said I want you, that God even cares about the sparrow when he falls from the tree. See, God had set up for widows in Israel to be taken care of. This shows the character of our Savior. He's absolutely phenomenal. Widows in Israel were taken care of in so many ways. They could glean on the edges of the fields. Widows in Israel could be taken care of through what was known as a kinsman redeemer. And we're going to see that play out in this book. A kinsman redeemer is that if a widow did not have lineage, offspring to take care of her, sorry, not the kinsman redeemer, the widow, yes, that someone in the family, it would go through like first cousin, second cousin, third cousin of the husband, would say, I'll redeem. I'll be the kinsman, the relative that will, that will marry and take care of. And that was the question that they posed to Jesus. Remember, on the day of judgment, who would she be married to? That was about the kinsman redeemer. Okay? That's so cool. That's the heart of our God, to take care of the widows. They can gather food. And then the year of jubilee, every 50 years all the land would return to the original landowners. So even if land had been lost because you didn't have children or offspring to continue your name, the land would go back to the original landowners. That is God's heart in this theocratic experiment, experiment known as Israel. It's pretty cool to see how God would care for the widows and for the poor. Now they go back to Bethlehem And I told you it was like a town of two to three hundred. And it said the whole city was talking. The whole city was a buzz. Because ten years ago, Elimelech and Naomi left with two sons. Ten years ago, Elimelech and Naomi left with two sons because there was a famine. And the house of bread was barren. Now what happens? Ruth, a Moabite woman, a foreigner... Comes back with Naomi? Are you kidding me? Like, they're like, wait, what happened to Elimelech? What happened to Naomi's boys? And who is this foreigner? There, there's so much. They're talking. Read at the end of that in chapter 1 on your own time. So now we go to God's provision for these widows in chapter 2, the reaping in the fields, and uh, Ruth the Moabite. So that's, it's, it's no coincidence that this is how the writer of this book titles her. Because this is not how she will be titled much longer. I mean, come on, it's very anticlimactic if you know the end of this story, right? If you've never heard this story before, it's very, very phenomenal. Because she's not going to be the Moabite much longer. Okay? Spoiler alert. She becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. You know, so it's very important when you see these little insertions Ruth, the foreigner, Ruth, the Moabite, Ruth, the servant in the fields. Because that's not her destiny. Because God cares about a Moabite woman. God cares about her. Let me go to the field and glean among the years of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So that's Naomi and, and uh, Ruth in their discourse. And so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And I told you about how they couldn't glean to the full edges of the field and so forth and so on. This was put into place in Israel to provide for the poor and for the widows. This is the heart of our God. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So remember who Elimelech was, her father-in-law. Okay, Naomi's Naomi's husband was Elimelech, that's Ruth's father-in-law, and so we we get a little bit of foreshadowing of this kinsman-redeemer concept, because Boaz and Elimelech were kin. Verse 4, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Now look, no piece of scripture is ever inserted haphazardly or coincidentally. Every piece of scripture is there strategically from the from the Holy Spirit for reason and purpose. Why is our first introduction of Boaz's words with the Lord on his tongue, the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you and and his response, people's response to him is the Lord bless you. People the the God Almighty ultimately, God Almighty and the writer of this book wanted us to see, want us to see Boaz's reputation. That he was a man that walked with the Lord on his tongue and he was a man that was respected in the community. He was a man that people blessed. People said to him, the Lord bless you. So Boaz has this character that we should take note of immediately. Then Boaz said to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. So here she is, known as a Moabite again, who came with Naomi from the country of Moab. Now, this is very interesting that, I mean, like I told you, it's a town of two to three hundred. Boaz asked one guy, hey, who is that? And the guy's got the whole scoop on her. Like, oh yeah, she's the Moabite. She came with uh, Naomi and that's what's going on. <coughs> Excuse me. She said, please, so this is what Ruth said to the head of the, the reapers, please let me glean and gather amongst the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And if everything in scripture is there very strategically, we should note her work ethic. We should note that she is out there on behalf of herself, Right? And she is out there on behalf of her mother-in-law, Naomi, in a foreign land, working. And she's not asking for a handout. God has set up a way for provision for the poor and for the widows. And she's out there working hard. Look, it says she came early. And she's worked up until now, except for a short little break. We're supposed to learn something of Ruth's character from this little excerpt. We're supposed to learn something of Ruth's heart. I mean, we already saw that in chapter 1. Wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Nothing will separate us but death. Once again, we're to see that something is very special about this woman named Ruth. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to say nice things. I care about you. If you need anything, you call me. We all say that. Do we mean it? Hey, you let me know if you need something. Ruth says, Hey, I'm going to be there for you. And look what Ruth's doing. Talks cheap, Ruth says. Actions speak louder than words. She's out there serving. Boaz takes note of this. Now, we're going to skip over not the scandalous section of Ruth chapter 3. And I say scandalous because it's the center of much great debate on what does it mean for, our, for feet to be uncovered. And that's what takes place. It's pretty exciting, um, it's very forward. For a woman to do what happens in chapter 3, you're like, what is it? What is it already? Um, Well, pretty much Ruth says, hey, Boaz, marry me. And so um, skipping over a large section... Uh, Of chapter two, Boaz starts taking notice of this woman's character and tells his workers, Hey, leave some extra grain for for old Ruth to pick up for for, uh, Naomi. And and so, Boaz, you see his character and his concern. And then in chapter three, we move on where uh, Naomi says, Look, I got a plan. Okay? You're not getting any um, younger okay and you're not getting any prettier Ruth so this is what we're going to do we're going to get you we're going to take advantage of the kinsman redeemer god has a law set up in israel where you can be redeemed okay boaz is in that clan and boaz can redeem you so go and let boaz know that you're available this is scandal of all scandals right i mean even you know you're like i mean in the 21st century You know, the whole Sadie Hawkins concept where the boy invites the girl out for prom. We're like, okay, that that still is a little bit uncomfortable for some people. No, the boys are supposed to ask the girls out, right? Well, imagine 3,500 years ago. Imagine 3,500 years ago, this is what we get. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Naomi had said to Ruth, this is the plan. He's going to be at the threshing floor. It's harvest season. They're going to be drinking a little wine. They're going to be just having some good old time with the boys. He's going to go lay down and go to sleep. When he lays down to go to sleep, you go lay at his feet. Okay, there's nothing sexual. Is this provocative? Oh, it's certainly provocative. Was it sexually immoral or sinful? No, it was forward. In any culture, in any time period, it would be forward. It was certainly forward. It was certainly provocative in the sense of (laughs) startled, alert. It was not immoral. It was not sinful. She lays at her feet. To be at someone's feet, remember in the Near East, we've talked about this before, to be at someone's feet is a picture of subjection and submission. Feet were dirty. Feet were disgusting. That's why it was a big deal when Jesus took took off his disciples' sandals and washed their feet. Okay, you're living in in a dusty, sandy culture wearing sandals. And she places herself at his feet saying, I am subject to you. She laid at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings. Isn't that some beautiful imagery? Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What does that mean, you're a redeemer? She's appealing to that kinsman, to that you're in the family line. You could redeem me. You could say, I will protect her. I will speak for her. Now, this is so cool because she's appealing to Scripture. She's appealing to God's order for provision for the widows. And if you look at what Naomi says to her in the beginning of chapter 3, she's like, girl, you got to get out there. Just throw it out there. Boaz is a godly man. He's a good man. Let's see what Boaz does. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, (laughs) my daughter you have made this last kindness greater than the first and which you have not that you have not gone after young men whether poor or rich see what we're going to see laid out is that there was a kinsman redeemer who had dibs who who had um, the pick of Ruth before Boaz it was all about closeness and proximity in family relations for the kinsman redeemer and we don't know this other guy's name, he's nameless for a reason because he doesn't redeem Ruth. And you're going to see for the wrong reasons, um, for financial reasons and things like that. And, um, and so I don't know if this was a younger guy that she could have gone after. I, so right now you get the connotation that Boaz is older. And, and Boaz, you know, doesn't feel like he's that special. And the fact that she's coming after him shows her character. The way he interprets her actions is kindness. He says, you're kind, but he interprets her as kind. It's pretty pretty cool what we see happening here. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That you are a worthy woman. Well, there's, like I said, there's one catch. There's a kinsman redeemer that is closer in relations. So, what happens, Boaz goes to the town gate. That's where all the business is transacted. He goes to the town gate that morning, just a few hours later. And, I mean, you can imagine that Ruth is just on pins and needles. I mean, you know, because Boaz's response could have been like many different things. Scandal, get this, get this Moabite foreigner out of here, get this servant woman out of here. Um, even though he, he had the opportunity of kinsman redeemer, people did not have to act upon that. And we're going to see that as he goes to the city gate, he goes to the man that had first rights, as kinsman, redeemer. And he said, hey, um, what about Elimelech's land? Do you want to purchase that? And that's the way Boaz is pretty smart. He says, are you going to purchase it? And when you purchase Elimelech's land, you get Naomi. You got to provide for Naomi. But you also get the daughter-in-law, the foreigner, uh, Ruth, the Moabite. Well, the guy's logic is this. He said, okay. So I become her kinsman redeemer. I purchase the land. I give her her son. That's what she's going to want is offspring to take care of her. He said, her son will get the land. When I die, the inheritance will be his, not mine. So you see this guy has no moral scruples whatsoever. He, he's like, look, it's not financially beneficial for me to spend money on an old woman, sorry, and a Moabite woman, foreigner, for some land that I'm going to lose anyway once I give her a son because God has it set up in such a way is that will be her provision and her son will get that land. So Boaz is like, oh, good, so I can buy it? He's like, yeah, yeah, you can buy it. Boaz is like, sold. So Boaz gets it legally working through the process. He buys Naomi. He buys the land which until he becomes the kinsman redeemer. He becomes responsible for their well-being and that's where we come to in chapter 4 then Boaz said to the elders and all the people you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, that was her sons and that includes Ruth and also Ruth the Moabite the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance so it would be his inheritance, i.e. Ruth's and her child's Would get the inheritance from Elimelech, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So, I mean, this is cool up to this point because in chapter one, we saw Ruth the Moabite. In chapter two, we saw Ruth the foreigner. In chapter two, we saw Ruth the servant. In chapter three, we see Ruth, the the very forward girl, desiring marriage. Now in chapter 4, we see Ruth, the wife of Boaz. What a phenomenal turn. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said, the women, so this is the women of the town, the collective, you. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. This is cool. That she's got this offspring, this lineage, this inheritance, this grandson. That's awesome. He shall be to you a restorer of life. That's what a redeemer is. A restorer of life. And they quote it here literally. and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. I mean, this is so amazing that the women of this town are like, look at what God has done. And it started, I believe, with Naomi and her faith and how she responded to sufferings and how she responded to trials that she didn't get bitter, she didn't punt, she didn't give up. She drew near to God. And she had this godly attitude and she said, "Hey, look, the Lord's blessed us. Famine's been broken. We're going back, Ruth, <coughs> you do what you need to do, but I'm going back to Israel. And then the Lord blesses that. Then the Lord blesses Ruth, who's like, now I'm with you. I want Yahweh, and I want you. I mean, all this whole story is phenomenal. And then she gets married, and now she has this son. And look who this son is. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi and named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. (laughs) So, I mean, when you see he was the father of Obed, he was the father of Jesse. And And the writer just has to throw it out there. He was the father of David, by the way who was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. And we know that the Messiah's line comes from the house of Jesse, from the root of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah. And this redemption that takes place, Boaz redeeming, Naomi, Boaz redeeming Ruth primarily and Naomi as well, but Ruth primarily. It gives us this picture of grace. This picture of God's heart. That he desires that none should be abandoned. He desires to care for the poor and for the needy and for the widow. And Boaz sees that and takes it and steps into that. And look what she is rewarded. The offspring of David and the Messiah that is to come, Jesus Christ. We're going to Close in song, and as Nate comes forward, we see that this story relates to a much bigger story. Because in the dark days of the judges, the family line, the family line of the Messiah is laid. It would produce the Savior, the Messiah, the Redeemer. It's beautiful. Boaz Redeems, he's the kinsman redeemer. And as you close your eyes, to think about the implications. He's a picture of a redeemer that was to come, that is greater in every way. That would redeem, that would bide, to purchase, to set free by paying a price. Boaz paid a price that day. He bought the land Jesus Christ paid a price for us in our redemption. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus Christ was cursed on us that we would inherit the promises of God. He redeemed us, he purchased us, he bought us back, he restored life. We were created in God's image to know him and and enjoy him. Sin invaded and marred that experience. We were separated. Death was our destiny. Judgment was certain. But Jesus stepped in, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and on the third day rose and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He redeemed us and purchased us. If you are here on this Mother's Day, and this is the first time you've heard this or the 51st time or the 1,001st time that you've heard it, I pray that you would draw near and thank God for his grace and his mercy. Thank God for his son, Jesus, that came to redeem us. The picture of Boaz redeeming Ruth sheds light to a much greater picture of redemption that we have in the great, great, great grandson of Ruth, Jesus that would take our sins and purchase us. Do you ask for forgiveness right now? Do you leave your sin and your shame at his feet? And for the future, do you see that there's hope? Ruth had no hope apart from God. She was a Moabite. She was a foreigner. Now she's the great-great-great-grandfather of King David and Jesus. There is hope in Christ. There is life restored in Christ. Cling to that life today. Worship the God of all life. Worship the giver of all good gifts. Say, Jesus, I worship you. Have your way with me. May this Mother's Day be a Mother's Day that you never forget. If you're on this journey, thank him for his grace and his mercy. Thank you for the redemption. And never take it for granted. Never treat it as expected or ordinary or deserved. Treat it the way that it is, undeserved and marvelous, and say thank you. Jesus, we love you and we praise you. You are our God and our King. As the ushers come forward now, I just pray that you would bless all offerings that are given as we give financially to the mission of the church. I pray that you would bless these gifts. Lord God, as we spread the great name of you, Jesus because you are the famous one may you be renowned in this city may you be renowned in this nation may you be renowned in this world because you are worthy of all praise if there is anyone that is here today that does not know you, I pray that they would draw near to you if there is anyone that is here that is on this journey today may they praise you and worship you and thank you for your goodness for you are good we love you, Jesus, we praise you I pray all this in your name Amen.